Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrooks.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from Talk Sport. Hello and welcome to the Game Day Premier League preview podcast with Talk Sport. With me, Sam Matterface, Darren Lewis from The Mirror and Talk Sport transfer guru Alex Crook. Coming up, Jurgen Klopp flexes his muscles as Liverpool take advantage of a Tottenham team selection tangle. We'll hear from both managers very shortly as Mourinho drives that bus over his players again. Game day returns this Saturday with three live commentaries, including Arsenal against Manchester United and Everton against Newcastle. We've also got live coverage of Southampton against Arsenal and Thomas Tuchel's second game in charge of Chelsea as they welcome Burnley to the bridge. All the big games are covered in detail, including the rise of West Ham United and the sterling work of David Moyes, all on the Game Day Premier League podcast from TalkSport. is game day. Live and exclusive national radio commentary from the big game of the week. Now Son running through the centre. One on one. He doesn't miss. Under Allison and in. I think this goal's not going to stand. I've got a feeling here that the way it's being mapped in front of us is that this is going to be ruled out. The scoreline has altered. It's still Tottenham nil, Liverpool nil. Son joining here, running towards the edge of the area. He's going to get into the box. He shoots. This time it's straight at Allison. Mane who's in behind a low ball into the near post and Firmino is there to breach the offside trap and steer it beyond the stranded Hugo Lloris. Mane's got it again in from Doherty, right footed towards the far corner, spooned away by Lloris, comes back to Trent Alexander-Arnold. It's 2-0 now. Bergwijn, edge of the area. Hybier! Oh, maybe they're not! He's just spanked one in from 20 yards! What a response from Tottenham! Mane, there's a run on the far side for Salah, a little over by Thiago, and Salah is in! And so is the ball! Smashed in by Mohamed Salah! VAR is asking Martin Atkinson to go and have a look at it. There was a handball, but was it relevant? It was, and that goal is going to be chalked off towards the far post. Oh, he's left the Mane go, Rodon, and he's picked it up and smashed it home, and Liverpool now have a 3-1 lead. That is a show of strength from the reigning champions of England. Do not write them off just yet. Tottenham 1, Liverpool 3. Let's start by reflecting on that victory for Liverpool against Tottenham Hotspur. It's the first victory in the Premier League for 2021. How crucial was it that you came here and got three points tonight? 
Massively. We said it already. If we win, when we win a away game, we have a. It's the only moment when we have a beer. Um, actually, usually, and I don't know when the last time was that I had a beer in a bus after the game. So, um, yeah, it's really long ago, and it, uh, um, the relief and the, and the joy is really big tonight because it was a really good game from us. We played a really good game. We didn't let them really happen. If you want the things they wanted to do, we we defended really well, played. Really good football against how is again a, a, a very organized, deep organized side, which is just tricky. Um, but we, we deal really well with it, and I like that. And scored goals, scored four goals, only three counted, but scored four goals. Had other really good moments, so I like the game. Looking at your team, especially in the second half, it looked as if you got a bit of your swagger back, some confidence. You were moving the ball, you were in control of the game. How important is that going forward? Much more important, that's what I saw, is that I saw in many moments us tonight, but it, that weren't the intense moments when we were really on it, when we were really there, when we, with the ball and without the ball, but especially with the ball, where we, Gini Van Aldum, what a game he played, like really keeping the ball in these decisive moments, getting out there, Pagel, Millie, unbelievable game, Thiago, uh, cut on his head and came back, a really good game. So that was, that was very important, yes, and playing football, I was never in doubt about that we can play football, we always played football, we had to, had to create in the final third, so that was tonight different. Uh, but we always, in both games against Tottenham, we played really well, to be honest. So we just deal with the, with the formation pretty good, and that's, that's all what was important for tonight. And now we sleep once and come to London again. How much was uh, a show of strength? team tonight and what does it say about your title challenge is it still very much on yes not until look we, we lost another center half today in in, in half time so and it looks really not good with him so um we are not here to make if people don't understand our situation i cannot help you and cannot help the other people why you constantly ask me about these things if, if somebody misses them the number of players we have to collect points and be as successful as possible but the title challenge they can do what they want and if we come close in a specific moment and our situation is a little bit then it's all fine and we are there but until then we just fight it's not it's not about you cannot only play good football when you have a chance to become champion because you got last year champion the only advantage other teams have against us is that, that they were not champion last year so they want to be it desperately so but we don't think about that we just try to sort our situation and that's what we did tonight very well and now we try it on sunday again well, that was Jurgen Klopp speaking to me after the game. I think he was a little bit spicier than maybe expected. He does very much think about getting into the title race and any suggestion that he's not bothered by it, I think would probably supply not only his owners, but a few of the Liverpool fans too. I wonder what the reaction is from the other side after that show of strength from the Reds, the reigning champions of England. This is what happened when I bumped into Jose Mourinho. Jose Mourinho has just joined me on the uh, touchline. Jose, good evening to you. Um, what do you think the reasons for tonight's defeat were? Were they tactical setup or individual were they performance of the players? Individual mistakes from the players. Yeah. What in particular did you get irked by? What upset you? Individual mistakes. The team was very confident. The team was in the first half very very solid. Where it was in my opinion difficult to say one team was dominating the other because we we had. Uh, in my opinion, good control of the game. One min- one mistake in the first minute, one mistake in minute 48, one minute in the second half, another mistake, and certainly you are losing 2-0. You changed it at half-time from a 4-5 at the back or a 3 at the back to a 4 at the back. If you had your time again, would you have started that way? No. What was but the reason for the change then? The reason of the change was because you lose a striker 
was because I was not happy with some individuals and I made mistakes to try to give the team a, a different uh, possibility um, but again, first minute in the second half goal just analyse the goals, you don't need to ask me too many questions um, I do need to ask you about Harry Kane and his injury issue because he didn't look particularly comfortable when he went down, yeah. obviously you had to replace him how serious is it, do you know? no, I don't know I just know that Harry is a guy with a great spirit, with a great sacrifice against painful situations and for Harry to say no chance to play, no chance to play, it's simple. What, you don't think he'll be able to play this this weekend or...? I, I don't think so, because the game is Saturday, I don't, I don't believe, but I don't know, I cannot, I cannot tell you now. How, how badly do you think this particular performance affects your top four ambitions and your title ambitions? The performance was good. Uh, especially in the first half, the performance was very good, was very solid. What about the result then? How does that affect the your season going forward? The result is bad, defeat, zero points. Well, I think it's safe to assume that Jose Mourinho is probably going to be accused and has been accused on social media of throwing his players under the bus. Individual mistakes, yeah, they certainly were involved because uh, Joe Rodon probably should have dealt with a third. Hugo Lloris uh, had some problems. Eric Dyer should have taken charge for the first one. All mistakes in the game. But I think the biggest mistake of all was actually the fact that they were outnumbered in midfield because of the formation and the team that he selected. I also question whether or not he should have had more of his powerhouses and experience in that starting lineup. Alderweireld and Sanchez were on the bench. They did Miss Reggion. Doherty was playing out of position on the left hand side of a, a back five, and it was very much a back five as well. Things might have been different had that song goal not been disallowed early in the game, but I'm, I'm fascinated to see how they approach the game against Brighton because it's a game now that they really have to win if they're to keep pace with those in the top four. Others have a game in hand around them. They still haven't completed 20 matches themselves, but the pressure is certainly on. There's so much more to get to over the course of the next 45 minutes or so, starting with the big one on Saturday. Arsenal against Manchester United. The history of these clashes is huge. I remember confrontation with players that were fighting for the league. And Arsenal do get their draw, but it's not finished yet. They're all around Ruud van Nistelrooy. Pushed out by Bartes. Wilton! Arsenal are the champions. They've taken the title away from Manchester United. When I played, it was between us and Arsenal to win the league. That was a fierce, very fierce rivalry. And the referee saw what went on there between Keane and Vieira. This is not the first time we've seen scenes of a similar nature when these two teams meet. And Keane has slipped home the winner, surely. It was probably the biggest clash in, in the Premier League and um, I'm excited. And Lacazette was razor sharp. Ice call for Arsenal. There's still the rival. There's still the history. Greenwood playing in Marcus Rashford! 2-1 to Manchester United! It is live, it is exclusive, it is only on Talk Sport. Arsenal against Manchester United is a 5.30 start on Saturday and Saturday's game day on Talk Sport with three live commentaries from the Premier League. And Manchester United suffered their first defeat since the 1st of November in the Premier League. Oli was doing his best to calm down the hysteria after the Liverpool win. And you can see why, because it was never going to go... Uh, well, they were never going to go through the season unblemished, were they? Uh, but to lose to Sheffield United was probably unexpected, Alex Crook. How did you take it? As you can imagine, you know, you know, you know how I took it because I left you a series of angry voice messages. Oh, oh hold on, hold on, hold on. 
bunch of prima donna who thought they could just turn up and roll over the worst team in the league. Weren't prepared properly, but numpty of a manager. That's my considered opinion. Uh, that was number one. Jaggy Elkham out of the match. He's older than Higo, for sake. And finally. The Hay has literally been for three years. If he was a racehorse, he'd have been put down about ten times by now. Darren, I thought you took it quite well, to be honest with you. Uh, could I could I press the red button and hear the unedited version of that, please? <laughs> if you'd like to, if you're listening to the show and you'd like to hear the full unexpurgated version, press. The, well, I'm sure you can go. Just, with, send, just send us a tweet and we'll send you the voicemail. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, the, the most alarming thing about that is I seem to get very cockney when I'm angry. <laughs> <laughs> you did go a bit peaky blind. <laughs> <laughs> Cock, cockney and cocky. All at the same time. I mean, <laughs> it was it's, it's interesting you use the word cocky, okay? Um, because that sums up both Ollie's team selection and the Manchester United performance. I mean, Tu and Zabi hasn't started a game in the Premier League this year. I think he's only started one all season before last night. Where on earth did that selection come from? If that doesn't smack of arrogance and underestimating Sheffield United, I don't know what does. And from what Trevor Sinclair was saying on the commentary, United's body language smacked of a team who felt they could just turn up and, and, and roll over the worst team in the league. That isn't how this works. And that is on the manager because the players were clearly underprepared. And he didn't make the changes in the game, during the game, that people were crying out for. Martial should have been hooked off at half-time. He's an absolute disgrace of a centre-forward, by the way. And we, and we might as well give up on that project now. He's been there long enough. He isn't going to cut the mustard. This is why Manchester United can't win trophies under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. You can't lose at home to Sheffield United and be considered title contenders. It's done. Do you want, do you want, to, do you want to have a drink or lie down? Um, <laughs> I think I, um, I watched the second half of that game after coming back from Chelsea and I thought they were making wrong choices in wrong areas. They were getting into to wide positions, not delivering the crosses fast enough into the box, not moving the ball quick enough. Um, I thought the, def- the defending for the second goal that Sheffield United scored was totally abysmal. I know that there's a clip that's doing the rounds on, on Twitter, but I texted you actually straight after it happened and said they had three chances to clear that ball and, and didn't do it. David De Gea, get it stuck under his feet too often. He's not very good with the ball at his feet, so he should avoid trying to get involved in that. Gave it away, came back again to Enzabi, prodded it clear. It wasn't particularly good. Then no one went out. Tellers didn't go out to shut down Oliver Burke, who seemed to have the freedom of the 18-yard box to get his shot away. Then the deflection obviously takes it in. But... Are we going to overreact to every defeat? Are we going to overreact to every win? And this is not just about a Manchester United uh, fan base or, 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 or the media talking about Manchester United. I think it's everyone. I, I, I think when you look at the course of this season, every time someone wins a game, the next question is, are they going to finish in the top four? Are they going to win the title? Every time someone loses a game, it's, should we get rid of the manager? Are they going to get relegated? Are they going to fail to get into the, the top six? or top seven. And I wonder whether there's two issues here. One, we're very used to now watching Manchester City and Liverpool win every game over the course of a season. Therefore, our standards of what is a title winner have been lifted when historically that's not necessarily the case. Most people don't win every game over the course of a season. Or is it because there's so much football at different windows, so we get to see so much more of it that 
we almost overanalyze every single game too much. Darren? I only half agree with you um, because there are some clubs where that is the case. But I think, look, nothing happened last night that didn't surprise us. Look how many weeks we've been talking, all three of us, about the fact that we still did believe that Sheffield United could stay up. We have been saying that. We saw the fight that they'd shown even in defeat. They weren't getting smashed up. They were losing by the odd goal um, and defensive mistakes were costing them. But there was still motivation there. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of surprised by last night, but kind of not. But I think with Manchester United, I remember saying on here that they were in a good run of form that we had to recognise. We had to recognise because they'd been criticised, but they'd responded with a good run of form. But when you're Man United, a good run of form isn't enough. You have to win the league. That's when you've answered your critics, not when you've gone a couple of months unbeaten. I think with some clubs, I actually don't think we've gone too far overboard. We've only started to raise eyebrows when one or two games has turned into five or six, like Chelsea, five defeats in eight uh, before last uh, before we recorded this podcast, like Liverpool, who you know were top what, in November, December, and now they're going to finish outside the top four. You know, a number of teams we've said that about, but I don't think we've gone overboard. And I don't think the concern about last night is overboard because I think Alex is right. The team selection smacked of arrogance. It smacked of of, of a manager who basically said, we only have to turn up to win. That's the beauty, I would say, of our Premier League. I don't think it's a criticism. OK, so let's talk about Arsenal then and what Manchester United can expect when they get there then, Crook. What, what are you expecting from that game? Well, I expected that this would be the game where United's uh, winning run came to an end. So the fact they managed to do it a few days early is um, is great credit to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and his coaching methods. Just one point that you made privately to me. You said every Manchester United defeat shouldn't be treated as a disaster. Yes, it should because that's the barometer that has been laid down the Premier League era. Every time Manchester United lose, it is a crisis. And if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer can't handle that, he's in the wrong job. Darren? Yeah, listen, when you're you're Man United, you can't be losing games to Sheffield United at home. You can't be doing it. And I think you you can temper it by saying, okay, let's not get overboard. We've got an opportunity to turn it around. The away form's very good, so they should get back on the bike against Arsenal. But let's not take Arsenal for granted. You know, Arsenal could beat them at home on Saturday. And suddenly that's going to be a problem. One point you made, and I think you made it as well, Sam, uh, about Martial. Sam, you were at the Chelsea game. I was there too. And I know in commentary for TalkSport, you were saying that you were, were gushing about Callum Hudson-Odoi, who had tracked back to deny Dendonka an opportunity that would have almost certainly resulted in a goal for Wolves. Yeah. And it would have been a decisive goal. And when I saw the lack of appetite and desire from Martial, I immediately compared him to Hudson-Odoi because that's the difference in yeah. the two players, in the appetite between the two players. And that's why I agree with many people who, who are not convinced. Martial has good moments, but there are not enough of them. Uh, Arsenal don't concede too many goals. I didn't think they were particularly brilliant down on the south coast. They they took advantage of Southampton, who who weren't very good defensively, and Ralph Hasenhutl made that point afterwards. They attacked the areas where Southampton were weak. What they did do is they pressed really high up on Southampton, I don't know whether they'll do that tactic at home. If they do that, maybe they'll play into Manchester United's hands because if they overcommit bodies into the United half, United love a counter-attack, Crook. 
Yeah, I think Mikel Arteta is, is astute enough to know that. So I think he will tweak the tactics accordingly. Let's not forget they, they won at Old Trafford, which I think was the last victory uh, before their terrible run. And now they're back in a better place. And I, I made light of that previously by saying they hadn't really beaten anyone. But I think the win against Southampton, albeit understrength, Southampton team uh, was tangible proof now that they have turned a bit of a corner. Aubameyang could be involved this weekend. That's still up in the air, depending on his personal situation and also uh, whether he might be subject to quarantine rules when he comes back into the UK. But they've got players high in confidence. Saka uh, and Smith-Rowe in particular, a real driving force now in that team. I think they are better defensively. I think this is a tricky game for Manchester United. I thought it was even before the the, the midweek debacle against Sheffield United. And I don't go into it with any confidence that United will, to use Darren's Thrays get back on the horse. I think if they can come away with a win, I would be mildly surprised. Well, United have gone over a calendar year since the Premier League away defeat. That was away at Liverpool on the 19th of January 2020. So they're pretty reliable on the road. Uh, On that Sheffield United game, a lot of people saying it was the shock of the season. Um, Was it the shock of the season? It wasn't for me. The shock of the season for me was Aston Villa beating Liverpool 7-2. Yeah. Um, so it, as much as uh, I thought it was a, a, a surprising result, I'm not. I, I'm not bestowing the shock of the season upon it just yet. No, I would agree with that. I think, um, like I said, we're talking about Sheffield United still having uh, a beating pulse. I think, as far as Villa were concerned, for starters, any team scoring seven against a defending champion is a monster upset. But Villa smashing them up the way that they did. And if you look at the pattern of that game, they could have scored more as well. It was the worst performance Liverpool have turned up, put in probably for years. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewellery. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Clearance comes back to Hammers Rodriguez, who scores an absolutely brilliant goal. Curled in, right-footed. We show the quality that we have. We are really comfortable now. 
defensively. Unfortunately, we're in a bad run. I don't think I've ever been in such a poor run, but it happens. As he will blow the whistle and the pressure builds on Newcastle United and Steve Bruce. Let's go to Merseyside. Everton against Newcastle with a 12.30 start. It's live on game day. Everton took the lead in the Leicester game in midweek, but rather than uh, sitting in the top four ahead of the weekend crook, they are seven, thanks to another Jordan Pickford error. It's, it's funny because I was talking to a friend of mine about the, the England lineup for, for the European Championships, and, and he was touting Dean Henderson, who I don't think has played enough games to, to warrant that place in the starting lineup. But I don't think Jordan Pickford is laying down much of a claim to be England's number one either. I mean, Nick Pope has been in excellent form for Burnley. We saw that again against Aston Villa in midweek. Pickford makes too many mistakes yeah. um, to be seen as as England's number one. And he's costing his team points. And I know it's a concern for Carlo Ancelotti. He's taking him in and out of the team at various intervals this season. At the moment, I think he's holding Everton back from possibly being able to challenge for a place in the top four. I think they would have been in top four if, if they had won that game, but they didn't play particularly well against Leicester City. They, they, they've got this... Ancelotti's very good at adapting his tactics. Um, I suppose against Newcastle, who they play this weekend, he'll be a little bit more um, handbrake off in his approach and, and try and unleash a few more, more of those forward weapons. For example, he played four centre-backs in that game against Leicester. And Dinia is a left midfield player. He's probably likely not to do that, I wouldn't have thought, against a Newcastle team that gave up chances against Leeds. And if they give up chances against Leeds, they're definitely going to give up chances to Everton, Darren. Yeah, I would agree with all of that. You know, timing is everything in life. And I think I feel sorry for Pickford because I know that Ancelotti has an interest in Sergio Romero at Manchester United, who clearly isn't going to be staying. Well, we all know United. that because Sergio Romero's wife told everyone. Well, indeed. Um, and it'll be very interesting to see if Ancelotti responds to uh, what happened with Pickford by making a late tickle for uh, Romero. Because I think Pickford needs competition. His concentration dips. He can have a really good game and then there'll just be one rush of blood, one moment we all know about that moment that basically derailed Liverpool's season. I think last night was the moment that it kind of really affected Everton because the race for the top four is going to be like snakes and ladders and West Ham will be delighted. I I, I wonder if Ancelotti might go for Romero. Yeah, well, I mean, look, I mean, for Newcastle, they failed to score in any of their last six away matches. So they'll be delighted if Jordan Pickford is in goal on uh, uh, Saturday. Uh, but, um, yeah, but you need to shoot, don't you, to take advantage <laughs> yeah, of a dodgy well, goalkeeper. True, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they haven't done too much of that, have they, Steve Bruce's team? Um, where are we with Steve Bruce and, and his current situation at the moment? Because, I mean, apart from being incredibly unpopular, I know that Newcastle United contacted us after we talked about their, uh, uh, their uh, decision to block questions from the written media on Monday. They said uh, they would like to give us some background about it. Uh, so, Crook, you, you, you were lucky enough to speak to them. What did they say? Yeah, I think the overriding feeling is that the criticism levelled against Steve Bruce is turning a little bit personal now um, and not necessarily just about the decisions that he makes as a football manager. And if that is the case... Um, I feel sorry for Steve Bruce because I think fundamentally he's a good man. I think he's a good coach and I think his CV doesn't always get the credit that he deserves. I think you have to look at what type of club Newcastle are. They've got an owner who, who is desperate to leave. Clearly, they're in need of, of some reinforcements. They haven't really acted this transfer window. I think they want Hamza Chowdhury at Leicester but aren't 
willing to pay money to sign him. They only want a loan deal. Leicester not entertaining that. And that really kind of epitomises the situation. Mike Ashley's sole purpose is to keep Newcastle in the Premier League, whether that be finishing 17th or 7th. He doesn't really care because he wants to sell the club and he's got much more chance of doing that if they are a Premier League team as opposed to a championship one. I think under Steve Bruce, they will stay in the Premier League. It isn't going to be pretty to watch. He's not necessarily a, a manager who sends his teams out to entertain, but they knew that when they appointed him. And, and I do think that, uh, and I've said before, maybe Newcastle fans do need to check their expectations slightly. He's been hampered by the COVID-19 problem. And from what he said, that has left lasting effects in the squad. Sam Maximum only now uh, is back fit and ready to play. And I think he's going to be a massive boost to them for the rest of the season. We saw that in the second half against Leeds when they played a lot better, I felt. Yeah, I mean, I think the idea of it becoming personal towards Steve Bruce, I mean, would be mitigated by the reporters by saying that actually it's Steve Bruce who comes out in press conferences and says things which seem to appear to antagonise supporters and yeah, but he, then, you know, if other managers w- were as frank and honest, we, we, we would, I think, possibly be praising them. I, I don't really understand why he was criticised for that, because too often we criticise managers for not speaking their I mind think, I think and, one of the and big not showing their emotions. Was, is that he said that from now on, I'm going to do it my way, as opposed to what was the question, which was what way have you been doing it up until this point? They've, they haven't won in 11 games in all competitions. I mean, so whether you're frank, honest or or a, a very nice person, if you haven't won in 11 games, you are going to get criticised. I think it's actually a failure on the part of maybe the communications department. They haven't used those opportunities to, to, to rein in what Bruce has said or come up with a strategy to get a message across so that he is perceived in a different way. Different I agree. Way. Arguably, that is the role of the people that sit alongside him, the, 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 the communications department, that are supposed to help him form a, a, a decent brand image for the club. Yeah, and from what I understand, that they have tried to do that. And I think it's, it's Steve Bruce who's run out of patience um, with certain members of the written press, not necessarily Newcastle um, as as a football club. And I, I think behind the scenes, they, they have been possibly encouraging him to take questions from the written press. In fact, I think they did take questions from the written press after the game in midweek. Listen, it's not a great situation when a manager falls out with the media. You don't want to make enemies um, in this game. But I think another story that irked him was a local paper story saying that Eddie Howe was being lined up for the job. I'm not convinced that's true. I think it's too far north for a start. And it's very unusual for a local newspaper, particularly to rally against a manager. Southampton against Aston Villa is an eight o'clock kickoff, um, and Southampton have gone through a little bit of a dodgy spell, haven't they? I mean, Aston Villa lost in midweek. They were very wasteful, created a lot of chances. Nick Pope played particularly well. They scored twice. Ollie Watkins back amongst the goals once again. Um, and unless Southampton are able to um, retool their squad, they're going to be in a, a spot of bother because. I mentioned this last week. It, it looks a very shallow squad. I mentioned it during the commentary on Tuesday night. They had Vokins at left back, who did okay. Valerie at right back was out of position far too much. And they were getting down the sides very easily. And Southampton trying to play out from the back when Arsenal were rushing them was a big, big mistake in the end. And Harsen Hootel said to me this. He actually said these words. He said, our defensive uh, display was the problem. And the people that have come in, the replacements, aren't good enough. I thought, oh, that's a, that's a bit harsh. He won't say that again. And then he said it again. And then he said it again. <laughs> Three times during the interview, he said that those who had come in weren't good enough. Um, and then he asked if I had any money so he could go and spend it on replacements. So clearly, Southampton is scratching around for a loan from somewhere. 
Well, I did tell you before the game that he wasn't a particular fan of, of Jake Vokins and um, obviously those post-match comments back it up. I think they've hit their ceiling, Southampton, um, because they've basically got 12 players. Um, and the reason they've got 12 players is because they've got Chinese owners who don't want to spend their own money on the team. Again, like Mike Ashley, as long as they stay in the Premier League and they've got a saleable asset in the future, they're not much bothered if they challenge for Europe or not. And I think it's a, a great shame um, because they were on the cusp of great things, but they've lost both fullbacks. They've lost Romeo um, to injury. Danny Ings has missed a few games of late. And as soon as you start scratching the surface, you see that the squad is, is a bottom half at best squad. In fact, some of the players that are coming in are probably not even championship standards. I, I also hear that he thought he had quite a good shout at getting the Chelsea job and was a little bit surprised uh, by the swiftness of the actions on Monday and Tuesday. Well, um, maybe he's been listening to his podcast because we were touting him or I was anyway. Um, I think he's earned the right now to be discussed in, in terms of bigger jobs. And Southampton fans won't like me for saying this, but the truth of the matter is, as Pochettino and, and Koeman have proven in the past, that overseas managers use them as a stepping stone. They get them to a certain level and they look to move on to a more elite club who are going to give them the resources they need. I think Ralph Hasenhutl has worked wonders um, with that squad. When you look at the improvement of the likes of Vestergaard, who I know you're now a big fan of, Sam, Stevens, Romeu, Ward-Prowse. I was impressed by the improvement, yeah. But he has improved the players. You know, he's made the best of the tools that he's been given. He hasn't really still been able to make his own mark on the squad in, in, in terms of signings. Diallo was the one big player brought in in the summer. The squad isn't deep enough to challenge for Europe. They'll probably end up finishing the bottom half. And if I was Ralph Hasenhutl now, I would chuck all my resources at the FA Cup. They've got a nice draw in the next round against a Wolves team who are not exactly firing on all cylinders. Try and get some silverware in the cabinet, enhance his own CV, and then look to move on. Yeah, I mean, when I say I'm not a big fan, I mean, I haven't got a poster of Yannick Vestergaard. Yeah, it'd be a big one, wouldn't it? Take up most of your wall. <laughs> Uh, right, OK. Uh, Southampton against uh, Aston Villa is the eight o'clock kickoff on a fantastic game day this week. A Saturday, three live commentaries back to back. Everton against Newcastle. We're round the grounds with Adrian Durham at 2.30. Arsenal against Manchester United at 5.30. Then Southampton and Villa. Finish it off. Thomas Tuchel said his job as head coach was like being the conductor of an orchestra. But the harmonies weren't quite there. The club makes this very clear in the end at Chelsea. It is about results. It is about results for us as managers. Crossing is met by a header which goes in off the post and it's Chris Wood and Burnley have come from behind. We're beginning to look like um, what we feel that this group is and that's a very committed, hard-working group of players and also with some quality. We're getting that strength in depth again. Let's move on to Sunday and Chelsea against Burnley is the 12 o'clock kickoff on the TalkSport Network. Two big wins in a row for Burnley and now they head to uh, Stamford Bridge where there's a new man in town. Um, I did snap uh, Thomas Tuchel doing his post-match interview, Darren, under the banner that said, in Frank we trust. <laughs> now, I thought you meant you actually forever. had a go at him. <laughs> no, <laughs> I did take a little picture of him standing underneath that banner, and I thought, but then I refused to publicly put it out because I thought it was just too nasty. But apparently, <laughs> they're going to take that away uh, this week. I actually sent it to the, to the lads with the word awkward <laughs> <laughs> for a lot of the game actually at Stamford Bridge on a, a, a Wednesday night. It was awkward. Uh, because uh, look, I'm told he's live in the move, Thomas Tuchel, but everything is rosy on day one, isn't it? Um, he told me that um, he'd had a uh, 
he'd had a tough Christmas. He'd had a tough Christmas job-wise, but he'd found an extra present under the tree that had gone unopened. And when he unwrapped it, he couldn't turn it down. Otherwise, it would have been the biggest regret of his coaching career. Um, so, <laughs> which, is, which is a nice story. Well, I'm, I'm always fascinated when people talk about when uh, managers who get sacked and are handed millions of pounds in compensation during a pandemic. Talk about having a tough Christmas. Yeah, it was just awful. He <laughs> did say job-wise. He did say job-wise. I mean, he, he wasn't well, making it out. He was tiny timming it and going around and trying to find a big fat turkey on Christmas Day. Yeah. Uh, I don't think a lot of people have too much, too much sympathy. You know, no, like you I, I, don't, before, I, I don't think anyone's you know, like running a pub in tier three around about Christmas. That, yeah, exactly. That's a tough Christmas. So, yeah. um, and, and, you know, look, he did okay. Uh, in the game, um, the numbers were off the charts in terms of the first uh, in, uh, running, passing uh, for a first manager since 2003-04, according to Optus. So, the, you know, the, the appetite was there, but they struggled to break down walls. Didn't I score a might- goal, Darren. Absolutely. And that's the whole point of football. Um, and I think they'll struggle to break down Burnley as well. I think a lot of people disrespect Burnley. And again, against us, uh, against Aston Villa, they proved that how much of a folly it is to do that. I wouldn't take this one for granted either. Uh, he made a major mistake, actually, in his team selection, because although he went with experience, a combined age of 94, the back three, by the way, um, they and they had 78.9% possession, 20% above what their average is over the course of the season. But Wolves allowed them to have the ball because Wolves, yeah, didn't have the ball. Uh, they were quite happy for Chelsea just to keep playing in front of them all night, which is basically what happened. Um, but when Mason Mount came off the bench, he made a major impact. We were both at the game, Darren. Um, he's often labeled the Frank Lampard favorite, isn't he? Mm. Mason Mount, and I think there's a danger that he could end up being made the scapegoat because. There's a reason that he's the favourite of um, uh, Frank Lampard and eventually he probably will be a favourite of Thomas Tuchel because he's the best player in the team. Absolutely. He did more in the, in the few minutes that he came on at the end than Ziyech had done in the whole game. OK, Havertz had uh, some good moments, but there is a reason why Mount starts ahead of those players. It's because he is consistent, he's more dynamic, he scores more goals, and I think he'll force his way into Tuchel's plans as well. It, it will be how Tuchel manages to shoehorn the other players into the team, really, rather than whether or not he drops Mount, because Mount at the moment demands a place in his team. I'm not sure we're going to see an immediate uplift with Thomas Tuchel and, and Chelsea, because I don't think he's going to be able to sign any players between now and Monday. I could be surprised, of course. So he's basically got to inherit the, the same squad that was underachieving under Frank Lampard. And they have underachieved when you look at the, the quality of players they've got. But I don't think him coming in is suddenly going to help Timo Werner banging goals on a regular basis or, or help Kai Havertz adjust to the well, not if he phys- pick him. physicality of the Premier League. There's, so two, I, there's, two, there's two, two important points here. Um, I've never, ever been of the belief that the solution to Chelsea's problems this season is signing more players. They've got more players than they know what to do. Too many players. Too many players. They they remind me of Real Madrid when they had players like Wesley Schneider who couldn't get into the team and they sold him to Inter Milan and he went on to win the treble with them and he was inspirational in that team. You know, they've got too many good players. I think it's appetite. Too many players in a a very similar set of positions as well. Absolutely. They need a clear tactical plan. They've got to get rid of... send some of those players out on loan or sell them and have a smaller group 
and a clear tactical plan, a better defence um, and more desire. Because last you talked about those numbers in, in the Wolves game, but how often have we seen those kinds of numbers from Chelsea this season? They went on that wonderful run, then it, they fell off a cliff. So I don't buy into that. And the second thing is this, everyone says, oh, he's going to come in and... Uh, uh, Speak. He's going to get the best out of German speakers, Havertz and and uh, Werner, and and Dave Kidd made this point in the Sun earlier this week, as if any German under sixty doesn't speak perfect English, probably better English than you anyway. <laughs> no, what what is what is that magic true. secret he's going to get out of Havertz and Apparently Werner? Apparently, there's a special German code word that only <laughs> the Germans know, uh, which basically makes all footballers fl- flourish. I think it's Schmetterling. He can't even invite them round for a bit of uh, bit of bratwurst, can he? Because they're not allowed to uh, to mix in households. Do you know? Do you know what Schmetterling <laughs> means, by the way? Um, I have no idea. I, I work with a, a German ice dancer who uh, uh, describes herself as a Schmetterling, uh, which is butterfly. But how? I mean, German, German is quite an aggressive language, isn't it? How does the word butterfly sound so so aggressive? Schmetterling. <laughs> I, I think it's an appropriate word though when it comes to Chelsea because they, um, you know, float like a butterfly and. Sting like a butterfly, don't they? At the moment, I was thinking that was it crap. more like. <laughs> I think it, I was thinking that that word sounds more like the latest version of the Terminator. <laughs> oh dear! Uh, let's talk about Burnley quickly because Burnley have scored more in four days than they have in the previous four weeks. What's happened? Amazing. I actually fancied them to beat Villa in midweek, but I had uh, a 1-0 prediction <laughs> as opposed to, to 3-2. But good character from them. They rode their luck a bit. Villa had lots of chances, didn't they, to put the game to bed and a combination of poor finishing and an inspired performance from Nick Pope meant that Burnley had the opportunity to go and win the game. They've got a nice gap now um, to the bottom three, 22 points. Probably only need another four wins to stay up. So uh, credit to Sean Dyche for, for stabilising them and... Um, it's an interesting summer ahead at Turf Moor to see whether he actually is given the, the chance to spend money and, and revamp the squad. But I don't think they're in any danger now of being dragged just, into this relegation fight. Just on the back of what you said, I, it's a theme running through through the, the, this podcast. But I think two things have been the key. One is the disrespect shown towards them. You know, because I, I, and I include myself in that. I was on last week saying I... You, you did say that. if you circle the drain long enough, you will go down it. Well, I, I do think that in general, and I would actually stand by that. You know, I think if you don't invest, and, and Daesh has done particularly well to get as much as he has done out of a club that invests so little in terms of resources. And like Crook said, this is a good run of form, but that's all it is at the moment. And unless they build on it with some signings, some competition, they're going to end up back in trouble again. Leicester versus Leeds is a two o'clock kickoff on Saturday. Wilfred Ndidi's injury is a big miss for them. Leicester need goals from other areas. We mentioned that. Yuri Tuleman's popping up with one in midweek. It's four and five for Madison. Harvey Barnes started their game in midweek really well. Uh, Leeds obviously gave Newcastle chances, so it doesn't really bode well <laughs> if, uh, uh, if Leicester are coming to town because they do create. And Leicester unbeaten in nine and after Leeds they've got Fulham Wolves and Brighton and if they are top four contenders Crook those are the games that they need to win 
Absolutely. Um, and those are the games actually this season that they've come a cropper in, obviously losing at home to Fulham. We were talking about shock result to the season. That has to be right up there as well. But 18 goals and counting now since Jamie Vardy was last on the score sheet for Leicester. So that does uh, belie the myth that they're a one-man team. I've been really impressed with Leicester this season. Um, Liverpool have moaned a lot about their injuries. Leicester at various times have had just as many key players out and found a way to keep picking up points. And I fancy them in this game because you're right, Leeds do give the opposition chances. I think if you give Leicester opportunities, even without Varda, they have enough players that will punish you. And I think Brendan Rodgers quietly will fancy his team uh, to get the better of Marcelo Bielsa. Okay, I'm going to give you a game each to talk about here. Uh, 7.30 on Sunday night is West Ham against Liverpool. Uh, David Moyes has been waiting eight years, Darren, uh, to get a place where he is the boss again, where he can create order from chaos. He's filleted the squad, improved failing members of that squad, um, upgraded it, defined a style, brought players to enhance that style. They're hard to beat. They've got flair on the flanks. That, 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 that they provide bullets for an energetic striker uh, with a backup plan of creating a great threat from set pieces. He's done a very, very good job. And I, I think there was an article I saw this week which suggested that football is finally respecting David Moyes and West Ham United again. One of his biggest achievements might be that we haven't heard from Gold or Sullivan in about six months. And I know that uh, neither man is particularly keen to speak uh, again, really. They, what they want is uh, for the manager to do the talking. Generally, when they come out and talk, it is because there is unrest among the fan base and they're trying to make the case for why they're going in a particular direction. I told you last week, he saved them a fortune in a transfer market. Burnley wanted £50 million for Tarkovsky. Uh, West Ham bid over £30 million. When Burnley rejected that, Moy said, enough, let's look outside the box. Brought in Kufel for £5.4 million and Dawson on loan. Uh, and they've now conceded only two goals in seven games. I mean, he's just changed the mentality of the, the side. And now the, the, the fans... I joked earlier in the season, didn't I, that there's a lot of uh, banners on your spare room floors, you know, bed sheets with Gold and Sullivan out, not come out to play anymore because there is not now that concern about the direction of the club. Moyes has changed it and it's ch he's changed the perception of himself because now he's getting respect, the kind of respect that he had when he was at Everton. Now, there is one hardened crew that do travel up and down the country uh, with balaclavas on, with one banner, uh, everywhere they go, just to take a picture outside the ground. I've seen them a couple of times when I've been following uh, West my Arsenal, actually. around the country. So they, 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 there is one group of people that go to every uh, single game. So always not forgiven as far as the owner is concerned, just uh, yet. But West Ham have lost just one of their last 12 home matches, which uh, bodes well. Uh, for uh, for them this weekend. That's a Where do you think they'll finish, Sam? Top eight. Top eight. Um, top I think... Mm, I doubt it. We often get excited around the halfway stage of the season where we think that there's someone who's going to gatecrash that top four, but very rarely does it happen. I mean, if you look back at the statistics over the course of the last 10 years, I think Leicester City getting into the top four, they had to win the title to do that. I mean, apart from that, it's been the same teams pretty much. Moyes did it once, didn't he, at Everton? In yeah, 2006. 2006. Uh, that, was, that, was, that was 15 years ago. And again, it was a very odd and strange statistic that that happened. He also got for you to make that case, what you're, what you're, <laughs> what you're saying year. is that 
that that that they're going to implode at some point. Is that what you're no, saying? No, I just think that the cream rises to the top, and those teams with the greater resources and therefore the better players will end up putting runs together that eclipse them. If you look at the the table as it is at the moment, it, 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 although it looks pretty for for West Ham right now, there's teams below them that have got games in hand. Yeah, I agree. And in that situation, those teams win those games in hand. West Ham aren't near the top four. You know, Tottenham have got two games in hand over West Ham as we speak. Everton, uh, even though they played in midweek, have got two games in West Ham. They're in seventh position. Mm. Aston Villa have got two games in, in hand over West Ham United and would be above them in the table should they win those two games in hand. So uh, their position in the top four, as is at the moment, is not secure even as no, we speak. No, so no. the idea of them maintaining that until the end of the season seems to me personally to, to, to be a very long shot. Um, mm. What about Brighton against Tottenham? Because that game is a 7-15 kickoff on uh, uh, Sunday night. We've already talked a bit about Tottenham because of their result against uh, Liverpool at the front of the programme. But Brighton, you were there on uh, Wednesday night for our exclusive commentary on the app. I listened to a bit of that with you and Paul Parker. Was it as entertaining as it sounded? <laughs> Groundhog Day. Um, as far as Brighton are concerned, 10 corners, um, more shots on goal. Didn't ever really look like they were going to score and actually Fulham very nearly staged a smash and grab raid at the end when Loftus-Cheek was denied by a brilliant clearance from, from Lewis Dunk. They, they do everything right, Brighton, until they get into the final third of the pitch and they just don't carry an attacking threat and they don't have the resources to, to bring in a striker. They've uh, announced huge debts this week for the last financial year, not the only club uh, feeling the pinch of the COVID crisis. I think there will be three worst teams than them um, because Fulham can't score goals either. Sheffield United, for me, still have an awful lot of work to do. And Sam Allardyce, I think, has bitten off more than he can chew at West Brom. But it's going to be a difficult and a nerve-wracking end to the season because they can't convert their territorial domination into wins. They can't get Lalana and Welbeck on the pitch Often enough, if they could, I think that would give them a, a new dimension. So I think Graham Potter has some big decisions to make in the summer because as much as he's made them more pleasing on the eye, they're no more stable as a Premier League club than they were under Chris Hewton. In fact, you could argue they're more susceptible to going down because at least Chris Hewton used to win games at home. They haven't won at home since June, uh, 14 matches. And if you keep doing that, as Darren says, if you keep circling the drain, you're going to go down. If you can't win at home, a club the size of Brighton, you're in big trouble. And when we become cult figures in the football fraternity, do you think we will have like slogans that go on uh, T-shirts that people buy from our uh, merchandise store? Do you think there'll be game day podcast merch and there'll be a Darren Lewis T-shirt with, if you circle the drain for long enough, you go down. I'll have a King Ralph T-shirt. <laughs> no, you won't. You'll just have a T-shirt with a picture of Ollie and lots of expletive swear words, <laughs> like like kapow um, bubbles in a comic. Uh, let's turn our attention to everyone's favourite part of the podcast. It's Roulette Rivalry and producer Lucy. <laughs> How are you? Yeah, I'm good, Tara. Uh, what's been happening in the world of uh, Lucy? Uh, well, I've bought my first car, actually. Oh, I didn't know you could drive. Uh, in fact, you can't drive, can you? No, but I can I can, I can drive within, with the company of a responsible adult. Right, OK. So, so you have to have a chaperone? Yeah, 
because that's what you do with a provisional license, Sam. Don't try and make out that I'm some kind of muppet. <laughs> no, have you like bought that. a car during a pandemic, Luce? You're not allowed to go anywhere. It's going to sit on your drive, get, getting rusty. You're going to clean it. insurance and, and tax for six months. Because my driving lessons have stopped, but, you know, I want to keep momentum going. It's a beautiful car. It's a 1998 Ford KA. <laughs> Vintage. Um, yeah, yeah. Fact, often seen on the classic car scene. Um, right. Um, anyway, instead of old bumpers, let's get some shiny new models for us to look at. From Manchester City against Sheffield United, what have you got? So for roulette rivalry this week, you will have 45 seconds to talk about a player from one of the upcoming matches. And as Sam's just said, it'll be Man City against Sheffield United. And this week, the three players you have to choose from are Ramsdale, Cancelo and Gundogan. Who would like to go first? I'll go first. Darren. <laughs> she says it so gently, doesn't she? Like, yeah. Very gently. Do almost like the school nurse. Come on, Darren. <laughs> Sit here. It, it won't well, I always get uh, told I'm aggressive, so I'm, you know, really trying to sound. You're being quite fluffy today. It's off-putting. Sorry, because she's bought herself a new car. <laughs> she needs, and she needs to make sure she keeps this job to pay for it. <laughs> uh, which one would you like me to take? I'm going to give you Mr. Aaron Ramsdale, and your time starts now. Actually, I'm quite pleased for Aaron Ramsdale because um, in the last couple of games, he's really proven that the people who wrote him off were wrong to do so. And he is—he looks like he's, the confidence is coming back. Uh, in fact, it's coming back for the whole team, actually. But I think as a last line of defence, um, he is starting to justify the faith that Sheffield United had in him when they paid, what was it, £16.5 million to sign him from Bournemouth. That had begun to wane during the first half of the season where uh, clubs were finding a way past him and his performances were not of the level that they had been last season. But this, what, the last couple of weeks or so, it's really starting to come back and you see the way he's commanding his box. He was really good against Manchester United. Well done, Darren. Felt like a long 45 seconds, I've got to be honest with you. I nearly made a cup of tea. <laughs> I've always been a supporter of Aaron Ramsdale, by the way, but Sam, the goalkeeper hater, has, um, has, has not been slow to criticise him. Right, Crook, you said I was being too fluffy, so let's get going, you big muppet. <laughs> and I'm going to give you... <laughs> I'm going to give you Cancelo, and your time starts now. You know what? This season, I think we could make a very good eleven of unsung heroes: uh, Luke Shaw, John Stones, and I think João Cancelo would certainly fit into that category as well. I think he's become really important um, for Manchester City, not just his defensive qualities. And we, we've mentioned as, as the season has gone on how much they've improved in that department. It's clearly an area that Guardiola has focused on. He's been a big part of that. But going forward as well, he's, he delivers a great ball into the penalty area. Uh, he commits opposing wingers and, and gets them sitting deep in their half. I think he's a possible candidate alongside De Bruyne as, as Manchester City's player of the season. And it's been a problem for them in the fullback areas in recent campaigns. If he can stay fit, they've got a great chance of winning the league. Stop. Wow. You know you're supposed to finish when Lou says you're supposed to finish rather than when you think you should be finishing. I was timing it on my phone, actually. <laughs> 
Uh, we're all doing that. Uh, is that what we do now? We're getting Sam, you were on. nodding along approvingly, though. I was, because I think he's been excellent this season. And one of the things I really like about him, I mean, obviously he's got two goals recently and um, he's, uh, sorry, two goals this season and one very recently, but two assists very recently as well, uh, which sort of help the Manchester City team going forward. But also, I love the fact that he sort of, he was the most expensive fullback in the world ever. Uh, so... Last season, I think we were disappointed by his first foray into the Premier League. This season, he's made much better. He can play left or right, and he moves into that central midfield position when they have the ball, and that really adds an extra dimension to Guardiola's team. I've just been Im- impressed with him on a number of different fronts this year. And Before you talk about Gundogan, I'm claiming credit for his recent goal-scoring spree because ever since I put him on my fantasy team about a month ago, he can't stop scoring. It is absolutely wonderful to behold. <laughs> right, OK, let's get going then. Well, ever since Alex Crook put him in his fantasy team, <laughs> Silky Ilky has scored a number of goals. In fact, he scored seven goals in his last ten games, which has endeared him not only... Uh, to Alex but to the Manchester City supporters as well and Pep Guardiola Um, for so long already I think he had injuries he had problems he had a a long-term injury at the club which really caused him an issue Um, and he was was almost like ballast in the squad wasn't he he was just an extra member of the squad making up the numbers but now he's become an integral part of that team because not only is he a contributor in terms of goals but he's a leader Uh, Pep's always liked him uh, brought him across from Borussia Dortmund extended his contract when I didn't think actually they were going to um, he, he scored twice recently when they really needed to someone to, to start scoring goals and I think he's a major asset I didn't I didn't start my timer I kept looking down where's my timer <laughs> sorry Lucy I overran just slightly there right West Bromwich Albion against uh, Fulham on Saturday uh, a win for either West Brom or Fulham well, that probably won't be enough to to start making people think that they're definitely going to survive. But for Fulham, who have picked up a a lot of draws recently, they're edging, they're inching towards uh, those above them. Um, So a victory here could be pivotal, couldn't it, Alex? Yeah, and I think in their next dozen games, they've got Newcastle and Crystal Palace to play as well, two of the teams that probably are most in danger of, of... getting themselves in trouble. So this is a big period for Scott Parker. I spoke to Scott after the game last night. He admitted they rode their luck, uh, but they defended really well. And that, and that again, um, is credit to him because they conceded 10 goals in their first three games. They've hardly conceded any, really, um, in their last 17. So that's good coaching. But they still lack a cutting edge. And actually, Mitrovic came on for the last 10 minutes against Brighton and was a real handful. Yeah. But he can only do the last 10 minutes. Well, yeah, I was going to say it puzzles me why he isn't starting more games, but probably fitness is an issue. Scott admitted to me he would like in an ideal world to sign a striker between now and Monday, said it probably isn't going to happen. And if they don't bring in a front man and if Mitrovic can't um, get on the pitch more regularly, then I just can't see where the goals are coming from for them to stay up. I was underwhelmed by Ruben Loftus-Cheek as well. I think they would have expected more from him since they signed him on loan from Chelsea. That said, they're five points behind Brighton and bearing in mind where they were not so long ago, they do also have a game in hand over Brighton and Newcastle, only six points behind Newcastle. And if they were to turn the tables on them in the upcoming game that they've got against the Geordies, it could be a very different complexion by the time uh, that we get to the beginning of March, Darren Lewis. I actually think Fulham will stay up. I think Scott has, has, has approached this season really well. He's, um, he's, he's identified the flaws in his team. He's repaired the flaws in his team. He is more than aware 
that they need to score more goals. In fact, he said as much to me when I spoke to him last Wednesday after the Manchester United game, and he was saying that, that you know, that you solve one problem and another one appears. But he's very adept at, at, at doing just that, and I think he'll come up with whatever plan is required to get them out of the predicament they're in. It'll be tight. I think I think he'll do it. Yeah, I agree. I, I look at the bottom six. I think West Brom are done. I think they're a bridge too far for Sam Allardyce. But I don't think the other two will go down. I actually worry more for Newcastle and Brighton. I'm not convinced by Brighton. I don't think they win enough games. You know what I think about Newcastle. Fulham, I think, have got a, an organisation about them that I think is they've got more than enough games to, to, to get out of it. They've got a game in hand on the other four teams around them. And I can see them getting points from those games. I do disagree with you, Alex. I do think that Loftus-Cheek holds the ball up so well, got a fantastic eye for a pass. I am concerned about Mitrovic. He's only 26. So why is he unable, as you rightly say, to play as often as he should be playing? I do look at his shorts. They do look a bit double XL for me, and that might well be the reason. He looks, um, like, he, he looks like he's been on my nutrition class. Well, I think it looks like he's been on my nutrition class. Um, I think that if if Parker were to get another forward and solve that problem, I could see them shooting their way out of trouble. Fuller, my think for me. Uh, OK, uh, let's turn our attention to Crystal Palace against Wolves. I mean, if this isn't a nil-nil, I uh, will eat my cap that I am wearing as we talk now because uh, this has basically got a 0-0 written all over it, hasn't it? I had a bizarre exchange with Roy Hodgson um, after the West Ham game. I thought and, you were going to um, say I had a bizarre dream about this game. And I was going, to, going no, to check you into a local clinic. More of a nightmare, I think. Um, but I asked him if Palace's confidence had been dented by their poor recent run because they started the game against West Ham well. Zaha got the goal, but as soon as they conceded, they absolutely capitulated and 3-2 flattered Palace in that game. I didn't give him the stat, which is one win in nine, um, but he bizarrely said, I prefer my statistics than yours. I don't know what his statistics are, but it is one win in nine, Roy. That is, <laughs> that is a fact. <laughs> uh, so, and, and I think they're in a state of flux, um, Palace, because they've got so many players out of contract. Even uh, Guaita, the goalkeeper, is attracting interest from Spain. He's one of 14 players whose contract expire in the summer. And I wonder if Palace are going to see this as an opportunity to get a new broom, get rid of the players yeah. and make a change in the manager as well and, and that, change the direction do, of the club. That's what they're going to do. I, I'm, I'm almost convinced that they've already identified the manager that they're going to. Eddie Howe? Yeah, I think they're going to bring in uh, a new manager. I think it, it would be likely to be Eddie Howe. I think um, they'll, they'll change the playing staff. There'll be a lot of players available, I think, in the summer at bargain prices because there'll mm. be a lot of clubs who have suffered from the pandemic that just want to get people off the wage bill um, you mentioned about Brighton's losses. That, that, that's just just normal for every Premier League, every football club. So I think there'll be a lot of a, a lot of bodies that that need a home when you get to the summer. And I think that um, you know if 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 the strategy is already in place and they already have identified their new manager and that manager is already starting to think about assembling that squad, they've got a very long time in order to put that plan in place. So if that is what they're doing, I understand it. And, uh, you know, Roy's been a great for Crystal Palace and they've done very well to stay in the league as long as they have. But they've never been a particularly great watch. And I think ultimately, I know they've tried to change the style a couple of times and it's backfired on them. But I think if they've got a longer term project on that, then that's probably now the right way, 
right way to go, really. With, 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 and that's the type of project that would attract Eddie Howe, isn't it? The yeah, chance to absolutely. build a team for the long term rather yeah. than going up to... I mean, there's no way He's not going for to me, Eddie Howe is going to go to Newcastle no and work chance. for Mike Ashley. No absolutely chance. Absolutely no chance. We know him well enough to know, to know that that is... Is not going. It's not going to be the case. He's just not going to do that. He, he, he wouldn't work for. He wouldn't work for an owner like that who wouldn't give him the freedom to build a squad in his own image. And he loves control uh, of the club. And I think you know, the other uh, thing is that if you look at the profile of the players that they're signing, Eberichi Eze is twenty-two. Demarai Gray, who they're interested in, is twenty-four. I think they're looking to bring down the average age of the player yeah. that they sign. Because the average age is about seventy-four. Yeah, and and I think it is a club that literally needs to uh, uh, the, to be refreshed. It needs some some youth, and I think long term they will be looking to see. And there's nothing uh, wrong with that, is there? I mean, that, no, that's an owner that's made a sensible decision. He's looked at the situation. He's allowed that. To, they've allowed that to happen. They've obviously yeah. planned for it. So that that's, that's 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 good management, really, on behalf of the of the chief executive and the chairman. And Damari yeah. Gray could be a, a big clue, by the way, because I know that Eddie Howe was a massive fan of Damari Gray when he was at Bournemouth. They, they had a big bid um, to try and sign him from Birmingham City when they were still a championship club. So that, that could be an indication of, of the direction they might be looking towards. He, he, he needs, um, Damari Gray needs to move because he, he's not getting any football at all at Leicester City. So he needs a, he needs a change of scenery, I think. But like you say, I think the, the, the power at the moment is with a lot of players who are choosing not to sign new deals precisely so that they can go and play elsewhere. Ben Teke hasn't yet signed a new deal, for example. I know West Brom are desperate to sign him so that he can spearhead their survival bid. But even if he doesn't go to West Brom play regular, he'll have a club that he'll, he can go to in the summer because he'll have options all over Europe. So the power definitely with the players who are out of contract at the moment. He'll end up back in Belgium, I think, Ben Teke. Well, we won't uh, end up back in Belgium for a while because, uh, unfortunately... Uh, we're not allowed to travel anywhere outside these shores. I did see actually this week that uh, foreign holidays are going to be banned uh, for quite some while, which is a big problem for Alex Crook uh, because he's already gone a year only being able to nick away once. Whereas previously, twice. every <laughs> twice, every three weeks, he would be uh, on the uh, slow boat to Portugal, wouldn't you? I would. I've got a, I've got a holiday booked for Portugal in May. Maybe that's uh, more hope than expectation. But it's an interesting point, actually, Why have you done that? because there's a story in The Sun this morning um, from Duncan Wright saying that Arsenal are going to have to move the away leg of their Europa League game against Benfica because, of course, um, Portugal is currently on the UK red list and there are no exempt- exemptions for elite athletes. So if Arsenal were to travel to Lisbon, their players would have to quarantine in a hotel for 10 days when they return. So that game is very likely to be played at a neutral venue. Can I ask a question on that? But isn't the um, situation that if you are an elite athlete, you can still play your games and train. You just can't do anything else. You have to stay in the hotel or do you have to stay in the hotel? I don't know the answer to that. I think you have to stay in the hotel. If you look at at Australia, where they're really strict, the US Open, of course, has has, has been at the centre of the news agenda because they're very, very strict on the players not leaving the hotel. Um, and there's no exceptions for... Well, if that's athlete. the case, that's going to kill off European football very quickly, isn't it? Well, <laughs> well, it's also going to kill off this idea of the European Championships being in uh, 12 different countries, which UEFA have reasserted this week. Well, that's why I was, I, I, maybe you should have a little section in our pod called Any Other Business, because I was going to ask you about that. I still think that's lunacy. Frankly, with the well, pandemic, there's, there's no, there's no. I mean, there's no defending it. I mean, 
I, personally, I think actually morally, I don't think it looks great to have yeah. football a festival of football and 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 journalists speeding around the continent on jets. I just don't think. I don't think that's the right thing to do personally. Frankly, I don't even do it. It's our job. We have to do it. We, you know, people will say, well, you're going to go off and you're going to go to Baku. You're going to go here. Well, we are because that's what we're paid to do. That is our job. It's like if you were asked to build a house, you'd do the same thing or, or whatever. When I used to work in McDonald's, I didn't particularly like fillet of fish, but I used to cook them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that. Um, looking at tartar Duncan's so- article, it's like tartar it- sauce. I mean, tartar sauce is disgusting. Oh, I like tartar sauce. Oh, uh, looking at Duncan's, Duncan's article, it, it doesn't say there's any exemptions. And um, there's, well, a, actually, a worry, then, there's actually a comment there from a, a senior government source saying that athletes are not exempt to the rules. Nor should they be. Nor sh- I mean, we have seen so many occasions where people relax rules and certainly in this country, you've got numbers out of control. You've had 100,000 deaths. Um, there comes a time where you have to have zero tolerance. And I think that it's right that they would have that in Portugal. And that's the reason why other countries' numbers are lesser than ours. No death is easy to take at all. But, you know, other countries want to minimise that kind of risk. So I think that's right from Portugal. I think it's wrong from UEFA. I, I, I'll be, I, I bet you any money before the summer they make a U-turn and decide to have it in one country like they did with the Champions will. League. Of course they will. It'll be in Germany. They'll switch the two tournaments around 2024 and 2020. And, um, yeah, it'll be in Germany. I'm, 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 I said that a year ago. I believe it because... I, th- I think the optics will be so bad if they decide to do it in 12 host cities. If they do do it in 12 host cities, it will be because the money that those 12 host cities have paid and the contracts that they have uh, negotiated are so huge that UEFA cannot afford to lose the money. Well, that's the reason why we've got a problem in this country, because we prioritise money, the economy, o- over people's lives, people's health. But the problem is that you've got no economy if everybody's dead. To be frank, and you know, I, I don't think that UEFA prioritising money is going to be a, is a reason for people to risk their health. I've just had a, a Sky News alert. It says uh, Darren Lewis is about to do the Downing Street briefing <laughs> at five o'clock tonight. The rhetoric uh, should be interesting. Uh, anyway, right, okay, that's it from us as uh, far as this podcast is concerned. Uh, but we do have, obviously, li- the games over the weekend, which we're very much looking forward to. I'm going to uh, Arsenal against Manchester United. Darren, you're going to that same game. Crook, where are you? Uh, I'm doing two games for TalkSport International, actually. Southampton Villa on uh, Saturday evening. I expect a Villa win, um, given the injury problems that Southampton have got. And then midday, Chelsea against Burnley. More interesting. See, you're not too cool for school, are you? Uh, Right, Okay. we'll uh, see you on Monday when you wake up, uh, bringing you all the reaction to a big weekend of football. This is the Game Day Podcast from TalkSport. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.